0: Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone.
1: Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin-Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive.
0: Hi, everyone. Hope that you are doing well. And this is being recorded at the end of August, just on the cusp of September. So when our next episode, which will be 37, drops, it'll be September 1st. So. You know, we're in a heat wave over here in the East Coast. I hope you're enjoying it. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy. Yeah, usually by the time we get to September,
1: the windows are open, the breeze is coming through, and the air conditioners are off. But uh, it doesn't feel like that this week. Although yeah. I did see that at the end of the week, it's going to get to 59 overnight. So,
0: oh. <gasps> ah! Angels singing. I love, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, and it feels like autumn because the leaves are so dry. But that's only because we haven't had enough rain. So add in a little drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the Delaware River is low. It is. It's. Oh,
1: I can't yeah. wait. Um, you know, there's something about rainy days that I really, really like, especially when it's warm. I kind of just want to go out, like walk and dance in the rain. With the, all of the heat we have, I think that the day that it does start raining. Um, We should have a party outside where everyone comes out of their house and is just dancing. Maybe we should start it and do a rain dance and then just stay as the rain falls from the clouds.
0: Well, maybe that can be our practice because we know that water is a very feminine element. And that sort of coincides with our second chakra, swadhisthana, which is creativity and flow and se- sexuality and just birthing, you know, whether it's a human or, or project or whatever you're birthing. Um, or a
1: rainstorm.
0: Or a rainstorm. So, with our our rivers low, our feminine energy is low. How do we come into balance? And this kind of you know it it seamlessly brings us into this episode, which is last week we talked about separation from feminine energy. And without the rain, that's you know a, a conditional piece of our universe that is separating from some feminine, or at least reducing its its mass, its size. But so today we're talking about identifying. With masculine energy, and also how do we bring those two energies into balance? And so this is you know, just as and we know how much nature matters. We know how much we are reflected in the natural world around us. And so, you know, I hadn't even thought about it until we started talking about the low levels and water and what that represents. So much of what we talk about is represent representational, like representational magic, if you watch the Vampire Diary series,
1: no, I have not been to- <laughs> I have missed that,
0: but I do like magic, so maybe I should put it on my binge list. (laughs) Most certainly, most certainly. Start with Vampire Diaries, though. It's Mm -hmm. uh, a whole thing.
1: (laughs) You know, going back and forth between the masculine and the feminine and, and talking about the balancing of these different energies, you know, one of the things that I came across, which I was kind of like a, oh, well, no duh, kind of a moment for me, is that, of course, we have masculine and feminine energies that reside in us. We were birthed. You just talked about birthing. We were birthed from a male and a female with two different energies coming together, an egg and a sperm fertilized together, dropping in bits and pieces of our origin story, our parents, into our bodies and our DNA as those two cells began to merge and grow into the people that we are so you know when i read it 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 was one of those things that of course we have both but it was just so succinct that yeah you started with the cell from a man and a woman there you are birth and creation
0: and not limited to the combination of cells from our parents because they there's generational dna that uh, my brother once said he that it's fascinating to him How many possible combinations of DNA are out there? The the possibilities are, you know, almost limitless. But I don't really know the science around that. So I'm just going to use that as an anecdote and move along, move along.
1: (laughs) we'll move on. Thank you for sharing your bit of wisdom for our podcast, brother.
0: (laughs) Oh, I just, I love him so much. (laughs) So smart. He would have a better answer. He would have a full explanation about how and why and how this, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you have told me about all of the wisdom that he imparts in different ways and what a great conversationalist he is and so skilled at, um, you know, just having really amazing and um, interesting questions Yes, to discuss. (laughs) So
0: anyway, Um, so we're talking
1: about identifying with masculine qualities. So it might be a good time to talk about what some of uh, those masculine qualities. All right. Shall we list them? Yeah, (laughs) let's list them. Um, I'll list the first ones. And then you sent me this morning that you found a couple more. So then, so we have the first ones that we found in our initial planning meeting of independence, aggression, strength, competitiveness, assertiveness, and focus on the material successes.
0: And then just, you know, and there are so many, and there are many different ways of combining these energies, but the ones that I was reading this morning included rigor, discipline, and control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like everything, there's going to be a positive aspect to the quality and one that may be negative. And, again, that's a balance. And there's, you know, for a person who is curious and exploring the whole idea of binary choices and what it is to live in this dualistic world. You know, in spirituality, there's this idea that maybe we can ascend to a point where we live in a non-dualistic world. And that kind of trips me up a little bit because you can't really have light without darkness. I don't know how that would work or why we would want to attain something almost so sanitized. If that's the right word, I don't know if it is.
1: It is. And when you were talking about the the balance that with every quality, it can be both an asset or we can get so connected to it that it becomes maybe a little bit of a liability. And while you were talking, I kind of noticed our backgrounds. So for anybody who um, (laughs) watches our teasers and you get to actually see us, my background is kind of stark and white. I don't even have a picture hanging on my wall yet. And um, so this, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, well, this is a symbol of control. I have everything like really pristine and clean and uh, (laughs) with nothing there. And then in contrast to your background, which is filled with color and books and our beautiful anecdotal anatomy sign and a skeleton in your background and all. um, I think you even have a crystal ball. (laughs) Yep, I do. And I'm holding it in
0: the palm of my hand right
1: now. There you go. There's your crystal ball. (laughs) So this idea of me identifying with control and having things orderly around me helps me not feel stressed that when I come to my workspace, I know where things are. When I come into my home, I know where things are. Everything is kind of orderly and in its place. But I also have a tendency to forget that there's no real control over a lot of what happens in life. So although I feel like I want to control identifying with that masculine quality that I hold on to, Um, There's also my practice of recognizing that I'm not in control of anything that's going to happen or other people's actions or decisions. So control has its place in keeping my environment in a way that feels stress-free and able for me to be creative. But out of balance, I might feel that I have to nitpick every situation to make sure that I can control it.
0: When in reality, it's just an illusion. Control is an illusion, and also, let's keep in mind: how long have you lived in your space? Uh, I moved in on
1: July first.
0: July? So, I mean, yes, July first. So, so, it's two months. Two months. I've been here twenty years <laughs> in this house. So, I've had a lot more time. And you've moved from an RV. I mean, you've you had already sold all your stuff. I've been accumu- on the path of accumulation for twenty years, and so there, there's that. And I will say, you know, my nature is a bit chaotic. And I don't know where a lot of things are. And my house, if you were to actually turn this camera around, is a mess. I mean, I I try to keep things orderly, but I have different priorities. <laughs> and so, but I also feel it. I feel it in my body when my house is orderly and when it is navigable, and I know where things are. I actually feel better. You know, it's I can feel that cause and effect. But my nature doesn't drive me toward it. <laughs> <laughs> So again coming
1: into that balance of the the masculine and feminine energies we can have control but have control with um with limits to it that it has to be balanced by a little chaos or not even a little chaos maybe control or the practice of surrender and to have a little bit more of a peaceful flow where you are open to allow things to happen kind of spontaneously rather
0: than in a controlled way. Right, right, right. So I think, you know, these uh, identifying with male energy, you know, we both said it on this podcast that we both feel that we have an abundance of male energy that is at the fore. And so I will say that in ways that that has shown up for me is I Over the years, I used to be much more passive aggressive. It's hard to be confrontational. It's hard to look someone in the eyes and speak a truth that might be uncomfortable. But I've worked really, really hard to get to the point where it is easier to speak the truth directly than it is to kind of pussyfoot around it and figure out other ways so that the other person can discover it on their own. That's just, again, that's out of our control. So if there's something I want, I am much more likely to directly ask for it which I think is more male. I've been on both sides of that and I can feel the ambiguity of my former way very rarely yielded the thing that I wanted. I'm not I I can be disciplined if I'm in a program and I something that I'm doing, I can I need the structure for the discipline to happen. So, for example, if I am in a class, Sorry, I, I, yeah. oh, oh, you say ahead. hi to Luna? Are you saying hi to I, Luna? I just wanted to interject here that while you're talking
1: about male energy, Luna, who has a feminine energy name, has decided it was important for her to speak up. Uh,
0: <laughs> And well, the UPS guy is outside. So yeah. No, the, absolutely. Luna, she's the moon. She was gotten on the a new moon and she is she is beautiful and she is a sheep. And she is sorry to interrupt. No, but she does she has a lot of masculine energy. Oh my gosh. She's our guard dog. She's the one who, you know, lets us know when there's potential danger, when it's, you know, the deer out front eating our hostas. Um, she
1: she shows her strength and assertiveness. She the does sure.
0: qualities that she has within her, absolutely. But so I'm a Cancer. I was born in the beginning of July, and so I also have this. I'm governed by the Moon. I think my rising is Scorpio. I think I've got some fire in there too. So water and fire—it's pretty steamy. And but I'm very sensitive, and the, my my female characteristics and qualities, yeah, I I are abundant as well. I mean, it's I think for a time when we show up in the world and uh we're looking for allies in the world they tend to be male the structures tend to be male and so i think for a while i was minimizing my own female energies like it took me a long time to realize that heart on sleeve is a beautiful fashion statement that vulnerability is strength that being able to to cry or to be real the authenticity of the moment I think to be able to express that in its fullest form is a beautiful thing and that in our culture we've tended to sort of see that as you know weakness or you know not something we want to show because you won't be able to move forward or whatever it is
1: my dad speaking of male energy would you so reminded me with what you said he would say you don't have to wear all your emotions on your sleeve you know you can you can hide that last card and uh, just play it when the time is is appropriate.
0: Well, let me say, the boundaries are important. And that's a male thing, I think, to create those boundaries. And so there is a time and place. It's not about regurgitating everything all the time onto everyone. You just don't want to, you know, vomit your shit on people all the time. Vomit- did I mix metaphors there? Yes, <laughs> did. Yes, okay. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. uh, yes. So I mean that. You know, hearing him, he, I, I think that was a pretty good balance
0: that he was
1: suggesting.
0: Hello. and then there's Hello, sweetie. sweetie. Sweetie, who I have renamed Sara Sweetie. saraswati Spatty. Sara, Spotty, Sara, Spotty, Sara sweetie. Um, Yeah, she likes to get in on it when Luna goes nuts. <laughs> da, 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 da. I don't even know if the listeners can hear the dogs. Of the um, backpack, so. uh,
1: we can hear it. So this is good. We have competitiveness. <laughs> Assertiveness, <laughs> strength, <laughs> a yes. little tiny
0: bit of aggression, yeah, a little bit, a little, a bit, little oh tiny bit there. Oh, you know, man. It, it's funny about this competitive piece. I have always denied that in myself because, you know, I'm a peaceful, grateful dead, you know, deadhead hippie. That's the kind of image I have of myself. But when I realized I do have an edge and when I realized that I do have this competitive thing, I recognize where it lives. It doesn't live everywhere. I do have that kind of, you know, yielding. You, if you need that card, I don't need this card. You can take it. You know, if we're playing cards or if we're doing whatever word games, forget about it. Backgammon, I, you are mine. Uh, <laughs> but there are certain games that I do sort of get competitive, and it's fun. I don't get competitive in a mean way. I get, I allow that masculine energy of competitiveness to be tempered by a kindness and a love and a certain feeling of you know, inclusion. And so, you know, there's, it It can be fun rather than like, fuck you. Like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to, you know, tear through this. Uh, but the same energy, and we talked about this in season one, when I did all of those tests for my Ayurvedic dosha, you know, whether you are pitta, kapha, or vata, which is earth, air, and pitta, uh, fire. So the fire piece, the pitta piece, in every one of these seemingly they're not objective tests you you take them they're completely subjective they're yes and no's or you know multiple choice but I never felt like I fit into any of the the choices that I was given I was a combination of these choices and so I would get into this whole mind game of which one do I choose who am I and so in that subjective lens that I saw myself as this sort of "Eh, easygoing peaceful loving hippie girl that I never came up with any pitta. There was no fire. This is a masculine energy that I did feel a certain abundance of, but never admitted it. Couldn't feel it. Couldn't couldn't make that connection until my Ayurvedic teacher came and said, Honey, I knew you were pitta when you walked in the door. <laughs> you know, and then she took my Ayurvedic pulse and she did all of the things. And so what was it that That I didn't see or that I was unwilling to accept in myself, even though I kind of already accepted it. It's really weird. But once I got into that pitta energy, I started getting shit done. I started living my my mission. I started living into my passion a little bit more. And I was more active than passive, which required that I uplevel some of my masculine energy. Yeah, the, the dosha
1: test, all of those tests, they always confuse me. And I think that for me, it depends on what day I'm answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> They're very subjective and it seems to change. And I know that there's this competitiveness that I feel. I often feel like my competitiveness is with myself. It's setting the next goal, having the next thing to do, finding the strength you know, accomplishing. And I think that, you know, when I really pay attention to that, that is the abundance of male energy, this looking to focus on material success and being able to be good at the things I do, which is interesting because what I do has a lot of femininity and feminine qualities being a teachers have qualities of nurturing and, uh, you know, guiding Uh, students, being a body worker, a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, same thing. There's a lot of feminine qualities that come through when I adopt my teacher archetype. So although I'm always in creation of making the next class, going to the next level, getting something else to offer, the things that I offer are the balance of the get it done and like look for that focus on the material success of completion of those projects, but the projects themselves feel like they're more um, feminine energy dominant. Um, yeah,
0: and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna expose us. Is that okay? Oh, I'm gonna yeah, expose, expose us, us. Um, during our planning meeting yesterday, and this happened the previous week as well. You know, Teresa and I are very passionate people with ideas and. Um, And histories and stories that have informed who we are and what our trigger points are. And we had a moment in each of these planning sessions that it got a little hot. It got a little heated, you know, and we both knew it. We both were recognizing it and we both surrendered to that energy of kind of, you know, getting there and getting in and, and trying to kind of, I'll speak for myself, trying to be heard and prove my point. A point that we both ultimately agreed on, a point that we both were ultimately, you know, just trying to be heard on. uh, And it was uncomfortable, but and it was very that masculine energy. But the feminine energy kept us in our seats, kept us with our eyes on each other and kept us from throwing shit and leaving the room. Right. And then afterwards, we had lunch. Teresa made a delicious salad and we sat there eating and we got to talk about it. And we got to actually confront that energy, which was, I think, masculine to be able to say, let's look at this right in the eyeballs. But the feminine piece was saying, next time this happens and we recognize it, we can stop it in the moment and say, it's happening. This is what it is. Like, let's let's explore this. Let's get curious about this rather than fight or flight, rather than thinking that it is bad or wrong or, you know, that it's going to destroy this thing that we've created. It's actually, I think, strengthening it because we are making the choice to move through it rather than be like, fuck it, I'm done, you know, which could easily happen under different circumstances.
1: There's so much curiosity about when those things happen in our planning sessions and when we're talking. Mostly because... Uh, Ninety percent of the time, we come at things with different views and different perspectives, and we just kind of sit back and go, "Hi, really think of it that way." And we hear each other with open minds, open hearts, and um, embrace the new learning. We we step into the seat of our students and each other's student, and we have the conversations in calm and um, accepting ways with. A curiosity, but there's something about certain things. And I think that's really what um, we're going to find as we continue to work together and find those different places where we both want to be heard and we want to make sure that what we say is being listened to. Why in specific things? Like I'm really. Interested as we move forward to find out what those trigger points are. And I'm glad right? that you used a science word, your trigger points, <laughs> muscles, and trigger That's points.
0: Science? <laughs> well, trigger
1: points in the muscles. So a trigger point in a muscle is a hyper-irritable bundle of nerves that is firing, but its firing sequence and how it's firing is kind of erratic. And so we get pain patterns that are far away. From the actual point of the trigger point so you could feel a trigger point in the muscle as I'm working on it as kind of this little ball you know that the client would feel it as an acute place that we come across and find in their body that is offering discomfort but the discomfort when you are working with trigger points can be very very far from the point of contact so the triggers um, have a pain pattern. So for instance, maybe a trigger point in the, a muscle in the neck may create pain in the fingers and down the arm. And we're looking in the fingers and down the arm to find the pain when the source of the pain is in the neck. So when we talk about this trigger point, and and when you used it to describe our kind of um, butting of heads for a little bit the first thing that went was yeah we were a bunch of hyper irritable nerves just
0: firing in, in I, I wonder directions. I wonder which came first like the idea of a trigger psychological trigger or if it was just one of those beautiful collective unconscious things that happen simultaneously that you know we feel like oh i've been triggered by this and that there's an actual scientific trigger point in the muscle. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. And then it's a
1: hyper-irritable bundle of nerves that's firing in all directions, which is kind of the definition of people misunderstanding and feeling like they're not heard. They get louder and, and they it, fire.
0: And that it's so far away from the origin story <laughs> of the actual explosion or the the firing. That's yeah. really,
1: really cool. Yeah. So I can't wait to find out. Uh You know, in these times that we get triggered, what is that very distant thing Mm. that is coming up at that point? Because like you said, we were talking about the same thing. We were in agreement, but yet we were both wanting to tell the story in our own way, in our own words, even though we agreed with the main point.
0: So this brings up a question that I'm just thinking about, well, ego, and I know that my ego sometimes can be pretty fragile. You know, the ego piece, not the sense of self, but the outward ego, the one that we talk about and you're like, you know, check your ego, check the bigness, check the size of your head, that kind of thing. Not the ego that is the sense of self that was more Freudian, um, ego, id, super ego, that thing. But this this idea that uh, the masculine uh, things that we're talking about are external the external successes, the external vision of oneself, the Mm -hmm. external things. But that sense of self, of ego is internal. It's looking for, you know, answers. It's, you know, asking questions. It is, you know, sort of an expansion from within. And so there's a masculine and feminine aspect to the ego as well. And that kind of leads right into uh, this quote that I wanted to read from
1: the Elephant Journal that You had said sent to me to review because you found it, and it was uh, so amazing and so much information. And the quote is, when we operate primarily from our masculine side, we may feel tired, stressed, overworked, or unloved as a result. When we feel overworked, moving about life on autopilot, too much in our heads, and not enough in our bodies, and or we're a lack of intimacy in our lives. It's, it is likely a refuel of the feminine that is in order. And I found that really interesting, and it brought me back to our very first season when Wendy and Shauna talked about coming out of their heads And into their bodies, out of their linear thought, out of their intelligence, out of their acquisition of knowledge, and worked with practices to bring themselves into their feeling body, something more feminine and more somatic.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder about, like, the levels of cortisol that happen when we are working uh, from—because I'm thinking about the film that my parents produced called uh, Standing on My Sister's Shoulders, which was about women and civil rights, black and white women coming together to help, you know, with the vote and education. And this was happening in Mississippi in the 60s. My parents did this beautiful film, Standing on My Sister's Shoulders. Go check it out. But these women, they were ordinary women. They were everyday women. and. I say that they're women, but they had to use some masculine energy to get done what needed to be done in that moment. And often there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of things beyond control. And so, you know, when we talk about these things, we often talk about them within a spiritual context, you know, sort of either working in a world where some people are working towards enlightenment or they're working to get more flexible. And we have the sort of the the privilege to do these practices that allow us to explore and to grow and to become. Um, But when you're in an acute situation, like these women were literally under guns, you know, literally being, and I'm using the word literally, and I'm not saying they were literally, you know, things that were not literal. They were beaten up in jails. They were followed. They lost jobs. They were, you know, threatened and their families were threatened. And so there was a lot of harm that was a part of this. It wasn't about practice so much as it was. These women had a courage. So I, and I'm saying this in a weird way because these are positive, they're they're attributes of the qualities, the male qualities, the masculine qualities that allowed them to persevere, that allowed them to continue to get up every day and meet these really hard moments. And there were some, you know, some benefit to that. Because without that, I'm not sure without the masculine energy, anything would really get done. Is that fair? I don't know if that's fair. I think we need to balance. Yeah, I think that it is. I think masculine energy is about
1: getting done. Not that feminine energy doesn't have its own accomplishments and the things that Uh are the end result of those types of qualities, which we talked a lot about in the last episode was the feminine energy. but. Now, energy is the getting it done. The the linear thought, the the sun, the fire, the 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 coming out of our shell and being ready to organize and and set those goals and get things accomplished um, in a very positive way. It's only you know the balance of the two. You know, we talk about balance a lot and it sounds like we're looking, it sounds to me, I I should say, like sometimes I'm looking at a scale like this and both sides are at exactly the same place. There's a 50-50 split when things are in balance, but I think it's a lot more fluid than that. And sometimes our masculine and or feminine energy is a lot more present than the other. I think the balance is more the ability to fluctuate between the two and to step into the energies that a specific situation um, requires or the balance of those two energies in individual circumstances where, you know, we have that. It's like, you know, I'm going to go back to when I was young and maybe did something that wasn't That my parents might not have liked and I was in trouble. I would be sitting at the table with mom and dad talking about it. And so maybe that is kind of that visual that I can look at as balancing the energy that mom was there for me to feel like, okay, I'm going to be nurtured and everything's okay. And she's going to understand, not that she didn't have her own masculine energy to make sure we followed the rules because she sure did. But in that situation, it felt kind of balanced. To have both the male and male sitting visually right in front of me.
0: That is so perfect. I love that image. And the interesting thing from my end is that it was my mother who was more of the masculine energy when it came to discipline, when it came to, you know, structuring the, the, because my dad, he was out of the house a lot. He worked hard and he was always sort of traveling and doing things. And he was there. He was a very present parent. But he was a little bit more passive. He was a little bit more, you know, um, allowing. My mom had a few more boundaries in place, and but it is true. Seeing them both together in those conversations, it definitely was a balance of the two energies. Because without, if they were both the strong disciplinarians or both really overly passive, it I'm not sure what the outcomes of of, of us would have been. You know, it, it's we need that balance. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I was um, talking about the balance and coming a little bit into the science of all of this. I was watching Gil Headley, and we've mentioned him before, and he did a one of his short videos, which was on the heart-brain connection. And in the beginning, so some of this, uh, you know, I'm not going to share all the science that he had in there. If you want to see that, there'll be a link in the show notes to come to to find that video. But he alluded to something that, that piqued my interest. And he talked about not necessarily the organs of the heart and the lungs, I'm sorry, (laughs) the heart and the brain, but more the energy of the heart and the brain and how we refer to them in our culture. And in their connection, there is a part that I do want to share, and I'm not going to give you all the details because I don't remember them actually, but he talked about how all of these Nerves and blood vessels come and attach both the heart and the brain into one flowing system of energy. And at one point, he says, "And when the heart was pumping, pump, bump, 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 bump it's massaging the brain. And when he talked about the heart and the brain, it really just the way he expresses it, it fell into the brain being somewhat more masculine in its energy, and the heart being more feminine in its energy. And we can see that in the way that we use the heart and the brain in our conversation.
0: Absolutely. And as yoga teachers, you know, and people interested in yoga philosophy, chitta, chit means mind, or uh, I'm going to read this for you. Because if we say, if you're a bodhicitta, bodhi means awakened, awakened mind, awakened heart. And it's a heart and And brain is a part and mind as the same word. This is what this says. Chit is the Sanskrit word that means mind slash heart. By heart, we mean not the four chambered muscular organ, but the abstract sum of our emotions, thoughts, and feelings, our conscience, our consciousness our soul. And this is from Chittakala. Chittakala is what that <laughs> quote is from. But I always found that interesting because I remembered someone saying to me a long time ago early in my, in my teaching that heart and, they said brain, but heart, mind, and we can get into a conversation about that too at some point, but that they meant the same thing. And I thought, what a beautiful thing when you're, you know, you're trying to make a decision about something. We often think it's coming from a cerebral place but then we have a gut feeling about it. And then, you know, our heart informs us. You know, they say that the gut is the, you know, another, it's the brain of the body. Yeah, we can. No, even <laughs> even if you look at marketing
1: strategies, they will talk about the same thing. If you want to notice, and we can all go out and look, when we are looking to purchase something or choose a class or do something, it's our heart. It's the like, <laughs> you really want to do that thing. That makes the decision. The brain will figure out the logistics of how we can get it done. But you know, I always find it interesting that in, in marketing philosophy, when I read about it and notice different things, I remember reading an article that said, you know, if you are trying to like salespeople would often shake, make sure they shook a hand and maybe put another hand on an arm because the touch was the contact into the heart and the emotions, the connection of the individual to the other individual, so that we recognize that when we really want to do something, we already know the answer. Our heart is saying, yes, 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 let's do it, let's do it. And sometimes the brain starts offering logistics, like, well, how are you going to do that? Do you have enough money to go on that vacation? It starts asking questions. And I've often fallen into the trap of thinking that the questions my brain is offering was talking me out of a decision that my heart was really excited about. After a while, I came to realize that it wasn't trying to talk me out of it. It was trying to empower me with all the things I needed to do to let that Let that decision flow,
0: to let it happen. And the opposite can also be true for people. You know, our minds, our brains can irrationalize us in and out of favor according to our will. Like if we have a will to do something that comes from maybe Manipura, that fiery solar plexus energy that's transformational, like you just, you've got that will to do it. Your heart isn't in it, but your head says do it. You know, there's the conversations we have even within our own. Would that be interception? I don't even know. That, <laughs> that calling from within, that thing that... But if, if our gut is saying something different than our heart that is different than our head, you know, that can, that can be a, a big maze to, to have to wander through. And I wonder about, you know, we talked a little bit about superheroes, and we'll get back to that at some point. But I started looking into, you know, feminine heroines from history. Uh And, you know, I didn't write them all down, but, you know, we've got Florence Nightingale, Mother Teresa, Rosa Parks, Malala, Oprah, those who don't need last names, Amelia Earhart, Susan B. Anthony, Marie Curie, Margaret Thatcher, Golda Meir, Gloria Steinem. I mean, there are there. I mean, the the list is really long. And this is the list that brought me into the sisters that from my parents film, the ordinary women who behaved and acted and created extraordinary um, reactions to their extraordinary times in history. But I wonder about these women and the masculine energy that was required in order to fulfill their missions in the world. And, you know, I don't usually think of masculine energy when I think of Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. But she showed up in some very dark places that I'm not sure feminine energy is inclined to to go into so, but I don't know. These are just conversations. But to kind of think about women in history and think about this is my practice. I'm going to throw it in here because I was thinking about it earlier. That if you're sitting, you can sit with it, you can write it, you can dictate it, whatever you want to do with a memory in your life where you achieved something that you set out to do, and to kind of what is it that we do? Not micromanage. We're reverse engineering. Right. Thank you, Stacy Brass Russell, passionate <laughs> Prosperous. We're reverse engineering this idea of how it is we got to achieve that. What were the qualities that we needed to access from within our own selves in order to achieve these goals? And how were they balanced by the opposite energies? How were they both informing this? So in, in line with the the theme of this particular episode, how did you identify with the masculine, but also how did you balance it out with your feminine qualities? So I will say that you know I didn't actually achieve a thing from those times. I've told these stories in season one, but asking for a raise. I didn't get it in either case, but Uh I asked for it. And I, that empowered me to set a precedent so that in future situations, when I was required to be in an uncomfortable situation and ask for something I felt I deserved, I knew I had put a paver down and I could walk that path. That there were many instances in my life where I had to show up and even maybe override some of my instincts, my feminine energy instincts, my, my July birthing instincts, in order and uncomfortable, hard, not things that were natural to me, but that I knew I needed to do in order to move forward. And so those were the kinds of things. What did these women of history do? What have you done? What have you done for me lately? Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, the reflecting back
1: on the different things we've accomplished in our life and what it took to do them. I really do think it's going to show. I love that practice because I think as we look back, it's going to show the balance. It might show the fluctuation between male and female and how both contributed to that accomplishment. When I was 44, I decided to leave the profession I was in for 20, the past 23 years and start a new one and i took with my with me all of the business the, that i learned in dentistry all of the business management and practice management and skills of assessment and treatment planning and all of these how do you organize this business with me from dentistry into my next profession which was massage therapy and so i entered with the strong foundation of skill and accomplishing uh, and focusing on that material accomplishment of running a practice. But the modality that I chose was healing touch, that I complemented it with healing touch and massage techniques and bringing people out of their brains and into their bodies into more somatic experiences to understand the communication that was going on in their body. Um, Often the communication was one of discomfort when they came to see me. So, you know, I changed. That was a really like difficult decision for me to make that I had to gather up my male energies of independence and, and strategy to be able to make that decision and make it work. But I softened it up with healing touch <laughs> and nurturing and nourishing.
0: I love it. I love it. All right. We're gonna switch well, before we switch gears. I wanna touch on the superhero thing. Because <sighs> we talked about this a lot yesterday. And you know, I grew up with Batgirl and you know, Catwoman and Wonder Woman. These were my my models. These were my heroes growing up, my Sheroes, my heroines, however you wanna classify that. And I was looking at and just today I was Having some fun and like Batgirl, she has no supernatural powers. She was just trained to be beyond her peak performance in speed and flexibility and strength. So that's very yogic too. You know, this is this is Batgirl. She um flexibility and strength in yoga. We're always trying to find the balance, stira and Sukha. In the language that we use, there's always this conversation of finding balance. So in this one, it's stira and Sukha. It's the, the flexibility and strength. Yes.
1: Could you explain for everybody what that what those terms mean just in oh, case they don't know?
0: I am so sorry. Thank you. That's thank okay. you. Um stira is effort and suka is ease. That is the the basic, very very basic. I'll also put that in the show notes. Stira and suka. So if you want to explore a little more, hopefully, you know, we touch on certain things that will spark curiosity so that you'll go out and follow some links, go down your own rabbit holes and come up with your own conclusions. But so I love that she had no supernatural powers. Her power came from within. It came from her own conditioning that she was able to. So there's both feminine and masculine in her powers. She's got strength and speed, but she also has flexibility. Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman, who we talked about, and I know this is not a new conversation. It's been out there that especially the Linda Carter version, overly sexualized. You know, so there's an abundance, almost an extreme, absurd abundance of feminine energy in, but from the male gaze, it comes from the male gaze. It's not something that, that Linda Carter probably said, please, can I have a costume that shows my cleavage and, you know, <laughs> that, you know, rides high on my thigh? I really want that. I mean, even Barbara Eden, when she played I Dream of Jeannie, they wanted, they I, I guess the, um, the, the TV company that it was on, they wouldn't, they had to sh- cover her navel at first. They would, and then over time, I think they lowered it and you could see her navel, but that's sort of an opposite thing. Like on the one hand, they sexualized her. She's living in this, you know, very feminine, you know, bottle, but they also were afraid a little bit of the femininity. They're afraid of exposure. And so there's a different conversation to be had. Overly sexualized, not sexualized enough. How, what are we afraid of? And whatever, but Wonder Woman, what were her her strengths, her qualities? She deflected bullets. She had those bracelets that when the bullets came, she could deflect them. She wasn't shooting a gun. She was deflecting the bullets. She had a lasso that, that encouraged truth, that had whoever she wrapped her lasso around, her golden lasso, that person had to tell the truth. That's a feminine quality. She had speed. She had strength, male qualities. She was an Amazon. She came from an Amazon uh, lineage. She was a warrior. These are masculine energies. So I think in some ways, Wonder Woman, the character, not Linda, not Linda Carter, the actress and the production company that did that. But the actual character had a very nice balance, I think, of the male and female. I'm just going to do two more just real quick. Catwoman. 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 She was clever. She was resourceful. She was precise and agile, and she did speedy getaways. She had cat-like speed and balance and flexibility. So she, she was also very sexualized in that cat suit. But she had a lot of feminine qualities that informed her strength, you know, that it was that kind of balance. And the one that wasn't listed, but I had to put on because she was so much a part of my, my youth, was Jamie Summers, the bionic woman. Oh, you know, <laughs> I forgot about her. Jamie Summers. <laughs> um, yes. So... She also, I mean, she didn't have supernatural power, but they replaced her body parts with certain body parts with bionics that gave her strength that could bend steel. It gave her speed, which are sort of the masculine qualities, but it also gave her, I'm doing it, it's a it's a physical thing, so I don't know if it's going to come out in a teaser or not. But she would take her hair and put it behind her ear every time she would, the bionic ear would hear. I think the bionic man had the eye. and mm-hmm. she. So she would, you know, take her hair and put it behind her ear and then nam, 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 you would hear the the extra sensory hearing. So again, they're they're balancing their superpowers with male and female energies, which I thought was pretty cool.
1: Superheroes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> can't live them, can't live with them, can't
1: live without them. <laughs> yeah, but I think and correct me, I'm not really sure. Is that when was the birth uh in TV and such? Yeah of the female um superheroes did it start around that same time like the this looks like it's probably the uh 70s maybe the 60s where catwoman and and batwoman and we then we we progressed into the many morphs of Charlie's angels
0: oh <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> oh my gosh how they
1: changed over time from their original characters into their movie characters and their strengths and how they showed up.
0: So I'm going to yeah. look into that. I'm, now I'm curious. That's, that triggered me in a good way. That sparked my curiosity. So I just wrote a note and I will put a footnote mm-hmm. <laughs> in, our, in our newsletter and in our show notes about this. I think that's a really cool and interesting historical reference point.
1: We talked um, about, and I, I told you a story yesterday when we were doing our planning session that I read about, and it was an interview process mm-hmm. for a major airline in in the a major airline company. And what they did, like many companies do, is the first interview was a group interview, and I don't really remember the numbers, but I remember them to be a lot. So I'm going to use 42 <laughs> as a number, and what they wanted to accomplish in that first group interview was everybody was asked to present a 5 minute speech or whatever they wanted to do as to why they believed they would be the good a good candidate to be a airline attendant and about 5 you know people got up and they did their their presentation and then there was a pause and the facilitators dismissed some people in the audience and they sent them on their way. They're like, okay, so candidate number, blah, 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 blah. Thank you for coming. They never even had the opportunity to do their presentation. And everybody was, you know, kind of put a little bit on edge. Like, why did they get rid of these people? And then a few more of the candidates got up and they gave their presentation. And after a couple, they did exactly the same thing they started to dismiss people, some who had given a presentation already and those who had not. And when everybody was finished, they were down to about eight candidates that were going to move on to their second interview. And they explain in the article and to these candidates that the purpose was not their five-minute speech. The purpose was watching the people who were candidates And whether they were paying attention to the presentations and giving them their full attention, or whether they were working on their own presentation when they should have been listening. Because the qualities that they were looking for were, are you attentive? Are you nurturing? Are you nourishing? Can you pay attention to our guests on this airplane? And I just learned so much because they were looking for the qualities of a feminine, of the nurturing, not that that position is only filled by women, although at some point in our history, I think it was mostly feminine, Mm -hmm. mostly female, not feminine, but they were looking for the qualities of the position and that was take care of. And they viewed those working on their own presentation to be more too much, too self-absorbed. So, uh, there's just so many different ways that these qualities show up in at different times in our lives for different reasons.
0: And in our bodies. So, you know, I, I don't know how much of this we actually make up and then we kind of draw meaning into it from the models that we've created. So we say the left side is feminine, the right side is masculine. And that's true in, in the yoga teachings that I've heard. But I was in acupuncture one day and the person doing my acupuncture said that in Chinese medicine, in traditional Chinese medicine, it's the opposite. So, you know, for whatever that's worth and how you, you know, I think it's a lot of mind over matter. We, we we make sense of the things in our world in the way that we want to. So I just, for whatever that's worth. This woman, Shana Hiller, who wrote for Elephant Journal, the same article that Teresa wrote read from earlier, she also writes in that article that the feminine, and tell me if you actually read this, because I, I was listening, but I didn't know where in the thing you're thinking. <laughs> So the feminine channel known as Ida Nadi. Now, a Nadi is a channel and Ida is this particular channel that our life force kind of goes through. I'll go through a little bit of a teaching on the Nadi's in a second, the three main ones. So Ida Nadi governs the left side of the body. The masculine channel known as Pingala Nadi governs the right side of the body. One of the goals of yoga is to bridge the gap between the masculine and feminine and reach the central channel called Sushumna Nadi that provides a clear and joyful mind for meditation and self-realization. I'll give you a little bit of my idea on that in a second, but I find it interesting that they, that she says, bridge is the gap rather than coming into balance. So yeah. uh, we'll see what with the bridge, we did that in our neighborhood. I'll see this is gonna, a lot of circles, a lot of spirals and circles. <laughs> she continues to say that regardless of gender, each of us contains masculine and feminine energy. Logic, planning, and structure fall under the masculine. Did you read this part? I did not. Ways of being such as rigor, discipline, and control also fall under this category. The masculine is a necessary trait for it supports the growth of a balanced ego, which we also talked about a little bit, financial stability, family, shelter, and organization, which we also talked about. I like to visualize the masculine component of ourselves as a giant, perfectly shaped glass container. Too much container results in a hardening or stiffness and lack of flow. This can manifest as tight muscles, digestive trouble, holding grudges, and unreasonable anger. I'm reading a lot today, but I'm going to continue. She says, The feminine part of ourselves is perhaps more subtle in a society that is highly ego-driven. It is governed by intuition, receptivity, dreams, and emotion. This is a necessary counterbalance to the masculine. I like to visualize the feminine part of ourselves as a watery liquid. It flows and it must be contained, otherwise it is dispersed. Dispersed feminine energy may feel like being out of control, ungrounded, irritable, and lonely. When we, primarily, when we operate primarily from our masculine side, we may feel, t- uh, you did read this part. Okay, yes. so you read this. But this is the part that I actually underlined and I thought, this is what we do. We tell our stories. What is it that got us interested in something? What is it that, why do, are we interested? What is this, this path that we're on? So this was the piece. She says, the reason I am passionate about this subject is because I was living so deep in my masculine energy for so many years that I actually mistook it as my feminine exclamation point. For nearly 10 years of my adult life, I lived alone. I chose to move across the country by myself, build my own business and pay my own rent, regardless of various opportunities I had to be in relationship or work with others. I was committed and independent. And to me, I was a strong feminine woman. I followed a very strict eating regimen. I practiced yoga at the same time every morning and felt very successful in doing so. I was celibate and proud. She had all these very things that are about control. And the thing that I skipped was I followed a strict eating regimen and checked my weight at the same time every day. She practiced yoga the same. So like all of these things that we do to combat the illusion of control. She says, perhaps I was strong or courageous in one sense. However, I was severely lacking in my ability to receive. I was constantly thinking, doing, planning, and the idea of softening never crossed my mind. And if it did, my logical mind would laugh at it. (laughs) And we talked about this, the conversation between our mind and our heart and even our gut. That laughter I realized later was fear. Fear of my own ability to truly feel into each moment. I was in self-isolation mode and full-on denial. She says, I remember at one point I felt like I had lost all of my emotions. My mind was a one-track mind, and I was so identified with it that almost nothing could penetrate it. I experienced high levels of anxiety and eating disorder and insomnia as a result. There's just one more little paragraph. Knowing that er yoga, yoga, this thing that we both teach and practice for so many years, knowing that yoga urges the cohesion of the sun and moon parts of ourselves so we can experience our true nature. I decided to start learning more about my feminine side. I didn't just wake up and choose it. I've experienced a great deal of support and inspiration from friends, mentors, life experiences, books, and most importantly, my current partner. So then she goes into some practices and laughter is one of them. But I thought that was really, really interesting about the way, and I'll let you know, the name of this article is How to Balance Our Shiva, Masculine Energy, and Shakti, Feminine Energy. And there are some tips there. So that is from Elephant Journal. I'll put that into the show notes as well. But so just real quick about Stirasuka Sukha and the sushumna. Sushumna is your central channel. It lives on the anterior side of your spine. So that's the, on the front side of your spine, deep within your body. So we look at these pictures and we see pictures of our chakras and beautiful colors moving up the central channel. And it looks like it's on the surface, but it's really deep within us. The left side, Ida, which we've said is, is um, feminine, it's lunar. Um, it's a milky white color. It's cool. It's active. It's calming. It's inwardly directed. It's holistic. It's emotional and subjective and nonverbal and spatial, even though it's working simultaneously with things and it's intuitive. And this is the part that I love. And I, I do teach on the chakras a bit. So that brings this in. It houses our negative thoughts as cravings. If only I had a better job, I'd be happy. If only I had a better partner, I'd be happy. If only I lived in a bigger space, I'd be happy. It's all the, if only I had the cravings that would make us happy. Whereas Hingala, which lives on the right side, the male side is supposedly an opaque, deep red color. And it houses thoughts that are obstacles to our wisdom. If only I didn't have this job, I would be happy. If only I didn't have this partner, I'd be happy. Okay. Let me just real quick. If only I didn't have this, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. So Shumna is where wisdom lives and wisdom and affliction cannot share the same space. So you may see that the serpentine, almost like um, uh, going out and in, going up the central channel that shows the side channels, Ida and Pingala crossing the central channel. Where they cross, we call either a choke point where we need to release so that we can take our afflictions back and out of Sushumna. And in some traditions, like with Anadeya Judith, when she teaches the chakras, we're either excessive or deficient and we need to come into balance. So this, this also feeds into the whole chakra model, which we're not getting into today, but maybe we will another time. I love teaching on the chakras, but so this just shows how in the body, the Ida and Pingala left and right inform our um, afflictions. And how we can either bring them into balance or dissolve them into the side channel so that we can live in wisdom. Thank you
1: for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five star rating. Wherever you listen, these ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people. So we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids if you're so moved, please write a five-star review
0: on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.